0: Hoxton Movies on Hoxton Radio.
1: Welcome to Hoxton Movies on Hoxton Radio with Nikki Matt, and Morton in the studio. That, of course, was the legendary... Um,
2: yes, legendary.
1: <laughs> um, she broke the internet this week. Ubiquitous, uh, infamous... Princess of Pop, Britney Spears. Uh, The reason Nikki chose Britney Spears tracks this week is because Britney has just been announced as the headliner for Brighton Pride, which is some major achievement for them, I have to say, although she won't know where she is.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, (laughs) London, hey.
1: (laughs) Hey, (laughs) y'all, hey. Hey. (laughs) Anyway, so we're going to be playing Britney Spears songs that are featured in movies. We're not going to play like the whole soundtrack to Crossroads or any of those abominations that Britney's been involved in.
2: Hey, hey, Crossroads has got some... No. Some... Good qualities.
1: Zoe Saldana and, and Taryn Manning. And Br- mm, Brittany. So Is Brittany an asset? I don't know. <laughs> Probably alienating half I'm Are you
2: not excited for her business. headlining
1: Brighton Pride? Bright? Oh my God, I can't. <laughs> no.
2: Um, okay, so... Brittany well, has got some bangers, as we will soon discover on the show.
1: Okay, on to more credible <laughs> entertainment Fair. Welcome to Hoxton Movies on Hoxton Radio. Don't forget you can follow us on Twitter at Hoxton Movies. The station at Hoxton Radio and our lovely partner, Cinema, at Genesis Cinema. Tonight... On the show, we are going to be discussing movie news as usual. This week, of course, the biggest awards in the film industry calendar. The Oscar nominations were announced on Tuesday morning by Andy Serkis and her hilarious Tiffany Haddish. Um, I really want
2: them to present the whole ceremony. Yeah,
1: we we need to have a discussion about this because Mm. I'm getting. Different opinions on on all of that from other people. Um, so we're going to be talking about the Oscar nominations. We're going to be talking some uh, other news, of course, which um, is a bit exciting. And uh, we're going to be also giving you a little rundown from Sundance because um, it's been the first week. Of the Independent Film Festival in Utah, and there's been some really impressive uh, films and some mm-hmm. great buzz coming out of there, so we're going to discuss that a bit later. Um, also in the first hour, our In Defense Of is back. We are going to be joined live in the studio by Cliff Barnes, one of the presenters of the Devil Times 5 podcast. Cliff is going to be here to defend A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. Now, we all watched it this week. We made Nikki sit down and watch it. Morton <laughs> had never seen a Nightmare on Elm Street film. Me neither. Or at all. Morton had Never seen it, so we were furiously WhatsApping each other. Nikki is just a bundle of confusion.
2: Um, <laughs> I've also never seen a Nightmare Elm film because you, I am a big wuss.
1: You are a big wuss, and you do have a lot of questions about this. So I Cliff, have so many.
2: Oh, I've got my notepad of questions, but I, ha- I, ha- <laughs> I do have a lot of questions, which I'll remember
1: loser! Anyway, so, <laughs> it's alright Nick, you'll remember. But no, Cliff is going to be here to vehemently deny and defy and challenge us all on our, on our opinions, um, which are a mixed bag. So yeah, do stay tuned for that. And then in the second hour of the show we are going to be discussing Nick Park's new movie Early Man, which opens on Friday. Nikki will be reviewing Downsizing, which is the new Alexander Payne film, with Matt Damon and Kristen Wick. And we will be reviewing Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks in the post. So stay tuned we've got a lot coming up for you
0: now playing Hoxton movies with the Genesis Cinema only on Hoxton Radio
1: right it is time to throw over to Morton for all the latest from our partner cinema Genesis Cinema Morton what have you got for us
0: Uh, a fair few things this week Uh, so tomorrow we have got a special three screening of Francis Ford Coppola's Tetro and that is going to happen alongside a gig with Gabriel Moreno and the Quivering Poets uh, they visited the cinema relatively recently. But, yep, they are back again. They are alternative folk uh, on the London and Barcelona scene. And, um, yep, yeah, they will be performing tomorrow night from half seven. And then the uh, the screening will follow afterwards. What was the He's screening again? I missed... Tetro. Francis Transformed Coppola's film. I don't
2: think I've... I'm not familiar.
0: It's one of his more recent ones from 2009 it was made. Do you know what it's about? I... Do
2: go on. It is. <laughs> it
0: is. Uh, it is about when teenage brothers. Uh, no, when teenage Benny arrives in Argentina to look for his longer, strange brother Tetro. he finds not the idolised sibling from his youth, but a tormented and self-destructed soul, Ooh. who has abandoned his br- brilliant career as a writer.
2: And it's also got Alden Ehrenreich in it, which I think should mm. encourage some people to go see it in. Something I didn't haven't seen him really in anything apart from *Hail Caesar*.
0: Yeah, no, I thought *Hail Caesar* was his debut. But.
2: He was also in um, he was in that film *Stoker*, like really small part. Oh right, okay. But yeah, this was. I think this might have been his first film debut. In fact, it is mm. *Tetro*. Go see *Old, old Nero in his screen oh, debut
0: with Vincent Gallo as well. Cool. Uh Then moving on later into the week on Sunday. At 6.30, we've got a very special one. It is the start of a uh, series of live rescore soundtracks uh, that will be taking place, uh, I believe, in the bar, but possibly not. Um, They might be in the screen instead. And we are kicking off with Alfred Hitchcock's The Lodger, and this will be rescored by Grok. Again, they, uh, they had an event with us late last year as well. Uh, but yeah, no, it is a really good film. If you've not seen it, it is one of his earlier silent films. It's a horror and definitely very, very worth a watch. Cool. First. And
2: what, what kind of music are Grok
0: do you know? Uh, grok are an improvisational group based in East London. Their sound incorporates post-rock guitars, melodic bass, responsive rhythms and atmospheric electronics.
2: I love how you just have all this information up your sleeve. more. Thank
0: you. Uh then moving on again later into the week. Next Tuesday at seven fifteen we have got the return of Philippino. Uh that is, of course, uh Philippines uh, cinema strand run by one of our old staff members, uh Anna, and this uh this one is Bontok Eulogy and it will have a panel as well. Cool. Uh this is um this is a film obviously (laughs) uh it is set in uh 1904 when the uh saint louis world fair in missouri united states uh spent six months uh boasting feats of architecture entertainment and displays of colonial power and among them uh there were people from the philippines there cool and i believe it is a documentary and it will be followed by a panel discussion on the archives uh, with Manon switch and RJ Fernandez. Nice. Then uh, there's a few so events on. next Thursday. Mm-hmm. If, if yeah. wanna, Thursday. If you didn't want to... Always on If you didn't want to listen to us next Thursday. But
2: who wouldn't want to not listen to us? That was a really bizarre way of saying <laughs> what I was trying <laughs> to say. Wow, <Well>, I don't <laughs> actually know how to
0: answer it, though, yeah. Um... So, kicking off at 6.30, we have got the Queer Bee Film Fest, and they are doing a uh, short film night of uh, LGBTQI shorts. Uh, it is entitled Faith, this one, and uh, there are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 9 short films that you could watch in total over the course of the evening. What uh, time? That is at 6.30.
2: Ah, oh, come on.
0: Then, later in the evening, we have got the first poetry slam of the year kicking off at seven o'clock and then finally for this week at 8 50 next thursday as part of the women in film 2018 season we have got the voices along with an introduction by sarah cook
2: see i think the voices was a kind of unsung gem Mm. because it came out and it didn't it was it was a bit controversial because of the way it depicted kind of death towards women um, but I thought it was really clever and yeah. really, really interesting because it used music and musical in a really intriguing way. And I think what it was saying about mental illness was like, really smart. And it's uh, directed by Marjane Satrapi, who also did Persepolis. Yeah. And I was just really in- I was, um, impressed with just the fact that it was just so different. Like, who's making a film like that?
0: Yeah, no, it is really good. And it's one of those ones that it's kind of... I think it's buried away on maybe one streaming service uh, somewhere. But it's yeah. like, yeah, it's definitely worth checking out. And like you say, if you can do that in the cinema, then definitely yeah. worth it. It also
2: has an, a very annoying um, end credit song that will get in <laughs> your head. Um, so it's definitely worth... And I I think it's worth seeing in the cinema.
0: Yeah, but like you say, talking cat, talking dog... Bloody murder. Yeah. And musical number. Headless talking <laughs> corpses. It's, it's just intriguing. Headless talking corpses? No.
1: Co- um, headless corpses. Yeah. yeah. Bodiless corpses. Bodiless. Bodiless bodil- talking heads. Uh, talking heads. Bodiless heads. <laughs> heads. Yes. <Yeah>. Bod- <laughs> Confusing. Yeah. Anyway, Gemma Arterton is very good in it. Yeah.
2: Surprisingly good.
1: And Ryan Reynolds, obviously, has a great performance. It's very different for him as well. It's quite. Mm. I mean, I say that. He's still Saki and self- self-deprecating. Just this time a murderous. But it's a bit Wheeler. deeper I think mm. he's got, it's got a much deeper it's pre-Deadpool
0: so there's a bit less cockiness mm. to it mm. it's a very interesting indie I liked mm. it a lot
2: yeah
0: cool I, I don't like it. is that it that is it for this week yeah. okay well do stay
1: tuned because coming up in the next ten minutes or so we're going to be chatting the Oscar nominations we're also going to be giving you a little rundown about Sundance so stay tuned to Hoxton Radio
0: The latest movie news on Hoxton Movies.
1: Oh, there you go, Britney Spears with You Drive Me Crazy um, from me. some film.
2: From Drive Me Crazy. There you go, Nicky New. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is a terrible <laughs> film, though, to be fair. Wow. Melissa, Melissa Joan Hart and uh, the guy from Entourage.
1: Oh, come on, with that pedigree, how can it be bad? <laughs> um, <laughs> it's pretty dire. Okay, so on to uh, something a little bit more prestigious. Yeah. It was the Oscar nominations on Tuesday, the 90th annual awards. Uh, were announced on Tuesday morning, not the awards, the nominations were announced at the Samuel Goldwyn Theatre in Beverly Hills, California. American President John Bailey was joined by Girls Trip Breakout star... Tiffany Haddish and Andy Serkis to reveal the nominees in 24 categories Guillermo Del Toro's The Shape of Water continues its award, sh- uh, award show streak leading the pack with 13 nominations Dunkirk followed behind with 8 nods and Martin McDonagh's Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri with 7 all three films earned Best Picture nominations the rest of the category was rounded out by Call Me By Your Name Darkest Hour Get Out Phantom Thread Lady Bird and The Post the Academy Awards hosted by Jimmy Kimmel for the second time even after the snafu last year which we can blame him. I thought it was brilliant last year. Uh, Will air live on the 4th of March. All right, guys, so what did you make of the nominations?
2: Well, firstly, the post-best film, please. I mean, we're going to review it a little later on, but that is a joke to me. Um, Apart from that, I think the Oscars have actually done fairly well this year, the Academy, with the nominations. I very much enjoyed uh, Tiffany Haddish and uh, Andy Serkis' announcement and kind of wish they were hosting Um, But in general, I think they got it right. I think the director category is really strong and it's brilliant to see Jordan Peele and and Greta Gerwig finally getting some awards recognition uh, in that category. And also another really strong category... Um, from my perspective was the um, original screenplay which has a lot of uh, women represented which obviously is great and The Big Sick got a nod which I was really pleased about because mm. I think we all liked it on the show um, also Get Out and uh, Lady Bird as well as Shape of Water and Three Billboards I think apart from Shape of Water which I'm not so keen on but I'm in the minority I feel like any, any one of those films would win and I would be really pleased about it
1: Morton uh, what are your thoughts?
0: Uh, yeah, no. I think it's kind of refreshing for once that you're actually looking at these nominations and being like, "Oh, those are some of the people that we actually wanted in." Whether it's honest, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> so sure, or whether it's kind of a reaction to so many people being like, "Why haven't like like you say, Greta Gerwig and Jordan Peele? Why haven't they been nominated in the in the build up to it?" Um, yeah, again, uh, I would say. Uh, the, the uh, screenplay uh, sections are very strong as well uh, still not seen a few of the Best Picture nominations, some because they've just not come out yet and some because I missed but like, I'm very intrigued to see if the Phantom Fred wins yeah. anything just because Indeed. it feels like it's kind of almost purposefully being delayed to like kind of be out of your mind as such because like he Paul Thomas Anderson is often snubbed like I find in the past, like the master in particular, it was one that got really, really snubbed, and I was furious about. So I'm kind of curious to see if it does actually get anything. Particularly Daniel Day Lewis, as he's saying that it's his last role. Um,
2: he does have three Oscars though, so I feel like maybe they won't.
0: I know, but like necessarily having,
2: will reward him. I think it just seems to be, even though you say Darkest Hour is not very really good, yeah. and I've heard also pretty low bar reviews from other people it seems to be Gary Oldman's year. He's kind of won everything. Yeah, it would be and quite just, odd for them to suddenly... I mean, that's it could happen.
0: That's what I mean happen. in terms of the honesty again, though. Is it mm. a case of it's Gary Oldman's year because he's not...
2: Because he's not won one won yet. Won
0: one yet. It's just like... It's the kind of thing that at some point you do just have to kind of say, no, stop. Sorry if you've not won one for something that you should have done and like somebody else, somebody else had their year that year. Just kind of be honest and be like, that's not the best performance this year. Like, I... I I I'm happy to see Daniel Kaluuya in that uh, in yeah, that category definitely.
2: And Timothy Chamelau.
0: Uh uh but yeah, no. one of the ones that I'm really happy for is Willem Dafoe in Supporting Actor but I am quite surprised looking at some of like the more technical categories that it's pretty much I think the only nomination, it's the only nomination the for the Florida Project, Florida project yeah. personally I would have said cinematography and production design definitely yeah. because and Sean was Baker was very much in the running for Best Director yeah. I mean there was a lot of people that thought he would get it instead of Greta Gerwig mm-hmm. but I, I, I'm pleased in that respect that he didn't as such mm. because I think there are problems with the film but in terms of how it looks it's amazing mm. uh, so yeah really really kind of disappointed that it's not got some of those technical ones and kind of half surprised as well actually that I can't remember her name but the uh, the little girl in it I thought they might Brooklyn do. Prince yeah mm. I thought they might go for a supporting actress nod with her well they actually put her in lead <coughs> oh okay
1: I think and that that would have hurt her chances yeah, because yeah, it, was yeah. a very, it was an uncommonly mm. strong year for, mm. for lead actresses this year um I would, just to say what you were referring to about the Phantom Thread or sorry not the Phantom Thread it makes it sound like a Star Wars sequel I um, know the, the uh, Phantom Thread not, yeah right. um, Focus Features who are distributing it in the US are very smart with Oscar campaigns and mm. I think they held it back long enough so because you know ultimately yes it's important that Golden Globes and Precursors are part of the overall campaigning strategy because it gets the word out there also if you get enough screenings in you get enough Academy members along you have a three time Oscar winner starring in it Paul Thomas Anderson is a revered writer director it's also a very different film for him because it's about the fashion industry and not his normal Uh, subject matter so I think they they strategized it and it was a gamble and I think it's really paid off as we've seen because Leslie Manville the great Leslie Manville has been nominated in Best Supporting Actress and actually it was really interesting I don't know if you know but a trivia but she used to date Gary Oldman and they have a son together so she said the most exciting thing about the nomination is that her son Alfie has both parents nominated on the same day which is fantastic mm. so but no, I'm so pleased for her because she's been so great in so many things and there was always talk of possibly getting a nomination for Mike Lee projects and things like that yeah. and that never happened um, so this is great to see her in that category and also Best Supporting Actress every actress in that category is over 40 which I think is fantastic it means that there are good roles for women of colour and women of you know a certain age group which is brilliant and um, I Think Alison Janney is probably the favourite for this, um, mm-hmm. but it's interesting. And I'm, uh, you know, I thought Hong Chow might have got um, a nomination for downsizing. I Me, mean, Nikki, will tell us later what her performance was like. Oh, um, but that was a good category. In the and also about the post, I think the reason that it's been nominated for best picture and for actress is because it's with everything that's going on. I think uh, culturally, yeah. Um, yeah, that's part of the reason. The, the the subject matter of the post and the need for transparency and uh free press is such an issue at the moment that i think it's the liberal elite hollywood crowd saying we're sending a message to the president by nominating yeah. this film interesting that they didn't nominate it in other categories you know um but of course meryl streep has broken records with her 21st oscar nomination um, and no well good for her but i would have i would have put jessica chastain from molly's game in us in there um over meryl streep um, but yeah, I mean, it's the things. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm really pleased with it. I, Rachel Morrison, first ever female director of photography, mm. That's great. Um, is a great nod. I, I'm pleased that Mudbound got recognised. D. Rees has been nominated for screenplay. I know she didn't get into the director category, but I think Ladybird is is such a strong film. Um, and also, I'm really I, I know Wonder Woman was completely shut out, which is fine. Um, maybe some of the technical categories, although I do think the CGI was a bit ropey in that as well. Yeah, I think. Um, it's just no it's just impressive to me that they've actually awarded greta gerwig on merit rather than tokenism um, in both screenplay and director uh, so yeah i'm really pleased
0: really pleased the one of the main snubs that i've kind of seen a few people uh m- like kind of moaning about nick who has been on the show before in particular uh, to defend uh, van housing is that uh, your name did not get a animation nomination i
2: thought it was i thought it was ineligible it was, it was, as well i thought it was eligible for last year yeah. because it came out in like october november last year and i saw it then and then i saw it again in jack no sorry i say so 2016 that was, I remember that was seeing the uk it.
0: release whether the u.s uh, release yeah. is different i that that was my instinct uh, I thought it was in reaction like, but uh
2: it's very yeah i'm i'm that's
0: but yeah, no, if it was it, it eligible. Was, then that's a massive snub. It apparently was eligible, especially when, like, a big snub considering The Boss Baby has been yeah, nominated. I can't believe The Boss Baby Oh, come on, guys. It's animation. so good. It's so <laughs> ridiculous.
1: <laughs> that's just lazy voting. It's lazy voting. It's unimaginative. But no, I think generally, I'm pretty pleased. I mean, Star Wars The Last Jedi um, and uh, War of the Planet of the Apes have kind of dominated a lot of the technical awards. Um, best Original Song, Mary J. Blige, is the first person ever to be nominated in a supporting actor category and also for best original song which is great this is me from the greatest showman is nominated for best song and um, best director i'm pleased with as well jordan peele get yeah. out fantastic that they've recognized that and as you said Morton, daniel Khalil, i'm so happy mm. he got in there um it's really interesting that james franco got snubbed uh, i was saying off air that um actually when the allegations came out there was only two days left of the voting window so i don't know whether necessarily the 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 reports in the in the press was the reason he didn't get nominated I mean there's a lot of talk that the acting branch just didn't appreciate his impersonation of Tommy Wiseau in the room Um, or maybe as you were saying Nikki just word of mouth had spread and people weren't keen on doing it but I do think it's it's I think it's for the best for a lot of reasons I think it's the right decision but I also think going into the awards given that Franco turned up at the SAG Awards I think he probably would have attended the Oscars and with everything going on now what we're looking for is unity and solidarity we don't need somebody there to look awkward and uncomfortable
2: it (laughs) it might also be not to sort of generalize Oscar uh, the Academy members but it might be the a lot of Academy members may not have seen the room and so therefore didn't really quite get his performance because I mean Mm, I haven't seen the room but I've seen bits of it so I kind of what he was doing there and it it was an impressive performance uh, personality aside but I imagine maybe a lot of people either didn't see it or did see it and hadn't seen the room or really heard of it before and perhaps that kind of influenced their decision maybe Um, but I think do we do we have any more mornings?
1: Yeah. Well. Um, okay. So um, that's the Oscars, and as we say, they're going to be on the fourth of March. Um, so yeah, and I'd, I'd probably at like one o'clock in the morning here, as usual. Yeah. And we'll probably be staying up and watching it. Hoxton movies crew massive. Yeah. All right. So uh, moving on to some other uh, news. Uh, this isn't movie news. This is streaming news. Uh, yesterday, it was announced that Meryl Streep is to star uh, in Big Little Lies season two. So she um, she's been cast as she's very exciting. Yeah, she's been cast as the mother of Alexander Skarsgård's character, um, who goes to Monterey to uh, talk to um, talk to, Meryl, to, to Nicole Kidman's uh, character about raising her grandchildren and what that's all about, and in aid of. So yeah, so it's um, I think it's an amazing bit of casting. I mean, such a prestigious person to add to the. Um, to the uh to the cast of big little lies so i mean it's exciting uh what do you reckon
2: i'm really excited because i absolutely loved season one of big little lies and having meryl play opposite all those other like incredible women especially nicole kidman i imagine they're gonna have a fair few scenes together Uh, i think that's going to be pretty awesome to watch
1: yeah, they haven't inked deals with Laura Dern and Zoe Kravitz and Shailene Woodley yet. It's only Reese Witherspoon, Meryl Streep and Nicole Kidman that have been confirmed. All the cast are coming back. Yeah. They've all said yes to it, but they haven't sorted out the deals yet. Um, but uh,
2: is this the first thing that Meryl's done, like, on TV? Like, no, she, of- did, she
1: worked for HBO and won an Emmy for Angels in America. Oh, uh, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. Um, but this is the first major TV thing. But obviously, you know, like, Reese has been just... I mean, I was saying this, Reese Witherspoon is becoming, like, the Oprah now isn't she like or oh, the Jennifer Lowe it's like when do you sleep she's doing everything Um, but I, I don't know I mean it, it bodes well also the fact that Andrea Arnold is directing every episode of the second season I think it's going to be pretty good I think they've got a lot to live up to but it could be great Um, and another bit of news which I wanted to highlight which I think is really fantastic and it, it does feed into this time's up movement and uh, the solidarity that actresses are showing in hollywood um octavia spencer who obviously just got oscar nominated on tuesday for the shape of water was in sundance taking part uh, taking part in a um uh women in the industry panel and she said she wanted to tell a story so it was announced about a week ago that jessica chastain and octavia spencer who have been good friends since the help uh, have teamed up together to um pitch a comedy mm. to the studios and it started a bidding war between Universal and Warner's and 20th Century Fox and Universal won the pitch, and basically, it's the two of them are starring as leads in their in their film, and um, and um, Jessica Chastain and her had a conversation about salaries and all of this, and uh, Jessica Chastain said to her, "Look, we're going to get paid the same as the men," and Octavia Spencer said, "Well, that's a great conversation to have, but." Black actresses need to be paid the same as the white actresses. You know, this is also a discussion. So Jessica Chastain listened to what she had to say and said to her, Octavia, I promise you, you're going to get the, Mm. the same amount as me. We're doing it together as a united front. Anyway, last week, they have both secured deals and they are both getting five times what they asked, equal pay. So Jessica Chastain has absolutely done what she said she was going to do, and without glorifying a you know a white privileged actress, the point being is is that it is just about listening. Yeah, but the, yeah. That,
2: but it's not because she's using her privilege to ha- like to, to pull to pull someone else up as well. Like, the I irony of it
1: is though that Octavia Spencer has more Oscar nominations than Jessica Chastain, and yet Jessica Chastain is the one having to. <sighs> work out these deals because she's deemed more marketable uh, or a bigger bigger seller point
2: I have to say I I do quite admire Jessica Chastain because I feel like she other actresses have maybe spoken up in the past and been like then completely that's been like um, career suicide basically but she continues to speak up and continues to be in air quotes a difficult person and like demand more and keep speaking about it and not be silenced which I think is great and it's great that Octavia Spencer is also sort of joining the, the fight to fight for equal pay as well.
1: Mm. I mean, it just goes to show, doesn't it, communication, actual communication, and then a lack of fear. Because I think, like you say, Jessica Chastain, when she did that speech at the Elle Awards, she's the only one I've heard so far call out mm. the people in that room mm. for saying, you know, we're quick to jump on the bandwagon when it's, you know, March for Equality and everything else, she said, but we then encourage our fellow actors and actresses to stay closeted and things like that. You know, there was, the points she was making were so valid Um, And she was making everyone uncomfortable because she was saying, look, you know, we need to look at ourselves Mm. and we need to take action, which she's done.
2: And it's also, I think, uh, a stereotype of Hollywood that women don't work together and they're always trying to create rivalries. So it's nice to see, like, friendships and everything.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've also, well, we know it's publicists now, don't we? I mean, Susan Sarandon even said that when they were making Stepmom, her and Julia Roberts, which they produced together it was her publicist at the time that released the story about her and Julia Roberts fighting on set because it meant people were going would buy into it more which is just someone who's not actually Understanding the power of cinema and kind mm. of trying to make it a marketable selling point and it doesn't work. Anyway, so that's a bit of movie news. We're going to be talking a little bit later. We've got some other news to talk about, the Sundance Film Festival um, because we've got, uh, yeah, there's just been a load of rave reviews coming out for a, a whole slew of titles. So we're going to be talking about that um, in the second half of the show. But um, yeah, we're going to be joined um, next. We're going to play a song now and then we're going to be joined by Cliff Barnes who is here to defend A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, which we all watched in the week, and we have a lot of questions for him. (laughs) This is Britney Spears' Toxic.
0: In defense of, with Hoxton Movies
1: oh there you go Britney Spears Spears. Spre- Britney oh I know you God. don't like her. Yeah. Britney, Britney Spears Britney Spears, Spears Toxic. with Toxic which is a tune let's it's be honest it's from Knocked
2: Up and also Pitch Perfect 3
1: yeah okay Nikki <laughs> <laughs> Britney Spears uber fan next day. <laughs> um alright so as uh, the ident just said it's in defence of it is back our very special feature um, this week we are joined in the studio by Cliff Barnes uh, one of the presenters of the Devil Times 5 podcast and he is here to defend Nightmare on Elm Street 2 Freddy's
2: Revenge Cliff you oh. do? Cliff, so right. if you wanted to give us a plug of what the Devil Times 5 podcast is as Devil well. Devil
3: Times 5 is a horror podcast we've been running since last January, and uh, each month we cover a different theme, a different subgenre in horror. Um, there's five of us doing it, hence the title. And uh, we've got just coming up this weekend, we're recording one on everything Amityville. Ooh. So I've watched 13 Amityville films. Wow. <laughs> Varying quality. Did you say 13? There are 18, I think. Is there? Some of them I just
1: can't get hold of. Are they like direct-to-video, some of them? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't (laughs) realise there was that many, because I know there was the remake of Ryan Reynolds and Mm. all of that, Mm. but I didn't
2: realise. Oh, there we go. Very interesting. Anyway, Cliff, yes, you're here to defend... um, Freddy's Revenge. Freddy's Revenge, Nightmare on Street 2. So for our In Defence Of, we ask our guests to choose a film that is either lower than six on IMDb or lower than 60% on Rotten Tomatoes. And I think this is both. It's 5.4 on IMDb, and I think it's like... It's around 40 on Rotten 40 Rock on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> so you've got a lot to say? defend. So take it away, Cliff.
3: All right, well, um, well, um Fred's Revenge uh, is set five years after razor-clawed killer Freddy Krueger killed a group of teenagers by invading their dreams. Now he's back with a new approach. This time, he wants to invade a young man's body, Mrs. <laughs> Play the clip. Dad? <laughs> Ah! <preference noise> So for me, um, everything about this film starts with that music that you heard there, (laughs) Christopher Young's score. I think is one of the best, most chilling scores in all of horror. It's all all that do-do, do-do. There's weird strings. That's lovely. (laughs) Um, And they play over the opening scene, which is uh, set in the daylight. Um, It looks completely normal, kind of daytime scene. Doesn't look like a dream sequence at all. Apart from you've got this ominous music that suggests something Something is a It's just a, a school bus dropping kids off at the end of the day until there's about three people left in the co- in the coach, and um, that's when things start to go a bit weird. You see Robert England for the first time in the series without any makeup on, so that's actually Freddie pre the burning. Um, I'm guessing that all the listeners know who Freddie Krueger is. <laughs> we should not need to go into that too much. Um, and then it turns into this mad surreal nightmare where the ground falls away, and it's just it's so impressive. Um, Every director of uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street sequels would tell the press, I'm going to put Freddy back in the shadows where he belongs. I'm going to make Freddy scary again. Um, They were never really able to do that in subsequent sequels because New Line Cinema wanted to market Freddy. They had merchandise to sell, so they needed to show Freddy as much as possible. This wasn't the case back in 1985 um, when Freddy's Revenge came out. He he is in the shadows. He stalks the main character, Jesse's house, down the, these corridors in the dark kitchen, no one ever turns any lights on at night when they get up um, but Freddie is <laughs> subsequently' is consequently scary he, he he comes and you hardly see him for most of the film, only just like this silhouette um, it's talking about jesse 's house it's just got this really hot sweaty feeling throughout it the everyone's sweaty and melting and <laughs> Um, there's bits of uh, there's a vinyl record that melts off Jesse's bedside <laughs> table at one point. And I think extremes of temperature are really good for horror, um, whether it's like extreme heat, like in this, or something like Dust Devil, or extreme cold, like in The Thing. Um, it's something we can all relate to. We can't, we, we don't know what it's like to be attacked by a man with knives on his on his fingers, but we know what it's like to be so hot that you cannot you can't sleep, or so cold that you can't function. Um, people generally say hence this in defence of this is the worst (laughs) sequel (laughs) the worst of the series Um, people are wrong and the the reason they tend to say that I think is they 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 say you hear them say ah but it doesn't follow the rules of the franchise it doesn't Freddy doesn't operate in the way that he's supposed to in this film well what they're talking about is the way that Freddy operates from part three onwards really which is he'll target a group of kids who've each got one kind of defining uh, character trait and then he'll kill them in a suitably ironic way so in part three (laughs) who enjoys making uh, mannequins he's turned into a human mannequin it's a great scene but part three does also have the kid Will who says in my dreams I am the dungeon master the wizard master sorry in my dreams I am the wizard master and that guy can just sod off because he's annoying and it turns into a silly fantasy. Um, the the rules haven't been made by this point in the series and my pro tip to get that maximum enjoyment out of part two is watch it first. Watch it then watch the original as if it's a prequel. Then you've got Nancy's story beginning there and you find out a lot more about Freddie who you don't really learn much about if you watch this one first. And then obviously you've got part three Nancy comes back so you've got the continuation of her story. So watch this film first. If you've never seen the Elm Street films before well, start them off with two, one, three, and you'll have a whale of a time. Um, now, what it doesn't have in place, instead of instead of those rules that would come subsequently, um, this is more of a possession movie, and I love possession movies. It's one of my uh, favourite subgenres of horror. Um, one of the things I really enjoy about possession movies is there's always a scene where there'll be some furniture flying around a room <laughs> but, uh, being flung around by some unseen force, and Freddy's revenge delivers on that it's got a scene where Coach Schneider's in his gym late at night and he's being attacked by these uh, basketballs and skipping ropes that were flying around the around the gym he, uh, a shelving unit even comes away from the wall at one point um, so that that fulfills that that ticks that trope um, it's also got a transformation sequence, which was, uh, you know, a must-have in any '80s splatter film, worth its salt. Um, so, you know, you'd get people turning into uh, a fly or a werewolf or a, a giant cicada, or in this case, Jesse uh, turns into Freddy, or, or Freddy actually rips his way out of uh, Jesse's body in an incredible, incredible se- sequence. That uh, Mark Shostrom, the special effects artist, was always dra- drafted in, especially for that one sequence. Uh, I think uh, Kevin Yeager did the rest of the effects in the film. Um, talking of Jesse, uh, there is a sort of smuggled in subtext throughout the film. That, um, <laughs> it's so subtle. It's <laughs> really, <laughs> really I don't think anyone really noticed it in the 80s. And uh, certainly when you watch documentaries about it, it was only possibly the writer, possibly uh, Mark Patton who plays Jesse. Really noticed it, and it is uh, is Jesse struggling with his sexuality, um, and I love the way the little uh, bits of production design that. Uh Sort of flag this up like he's got a sign on his bedroom door so that says no chip there's a, there's a I don't know if you noticed the board game on his shelf called Prone. Yeah. oh I did not notice that yeah, yeah. I did notice that his,
2: his friend has like a leather bedspread which yeah. I thought
3: was really yeah, weird yeah he spends a lot more time with his uh, rival Grady than he does with the girl but Bob
1: there. Shea the head of New Line appears as the barman in the gay bar wearing a leather waistcoat yes. I mean it's kind of amazing that he didn't pick up on it he actually says in the documentary as well doesn't he he's like I had no idea (laughs) you were in a leather waistcoat dude like seriously
3: (laughs) And and I think my favourite line is where uh, Lisa's mum says Lisa sweetheart there's a Jesse on the phone
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's brilliant and I also heard as well that during one of the the scene actually we played the clip from the seller clip that Robert Unglund actually wanted to put one of Freddie's razors like into Mark Patton's mouth Mm. very seductively because but you know I wonder if it's like Mm. people taking credit for the film having more depth in subsequent years. I it's know. definitely
3: there. It's not very progressive because ultimately, of course, ultimately, of course um, Jesse goes off with the girl having mm. got rid of the man who wants to get inside his body. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, that, that might be a good time to play the second clip. Yes. I killed Snyder. You what? Only well, it wasn't me, see. There's something inside of me.
2: And last night it made me go to my sister's room and tonight with lisa on the
1: cabana it started to happen again i think you are seriously losing it bro
0: i'm scared grady something is trying to get inside my body yeah and she's female and she's waiting for you in the cabana and you want to
2: sleep with me look i don't care if you believe me or not hey i believe you you've had some scary dreams okay no
1: oh there you go that's jesse fleeing to his Best friend's house <laughs> instead of having sex with his girlfriend.
2: <laughs> I think, yeah, I was going to ask you some questions about because you already kind of said that it doesn't follow the rules. So, as a complete novice uh, of the whole series, because I am an absolute worst when it comes to horror movies, so I do not watch them as a rule. And um, I was watching this, and my partner came home and was like, "Why are you watching this? You hate horror films." I was like, "I have to." <laughs> But actually this wasn't as scary as I thought it was going to be thank god but I've still never seen the first one and I still won't see the first one because I've seen I remember a clip from the first one was in like the top 100 horror moments or whatever which mm. I, again I don't know why I was watching that because I hate horror and um, that clip was enough to give me nightmares for like oh, so a couple then, of the, days the, the,
3: the back, co- back cover of the VHS was enough to put me off yeah. when I was a kid it, it was the first 18 rated uh, horror film I ever rented but after weeks of um, putting it off and putting it off because yeah. of the the image of Tina with a centipede coming out of her mouth. Ooh, I funny.
1: was the same. I, my, you know, we're back in the eighties here and in the 90s My dad rented a Nightmare on Street when my brother and I were very young, and. Everyone at school talked about it. People were singing that song. I remember going on a school trip when I was still in primary school to the Isle of Wight, and one of the boys had seen it and was singing outside our door, like, One, Two, Freddy's coming for you, that. And it was terrifying. The mythology of it was really scary. And it was back in the time where an old pirate VHS would have been passed around the playground because that's mm-hmm. all you could get. And it wasn't quite a video nasty. It wasn't that there were Texas Chainsaw Massacre or anything else, but it certainly had. That mythology and that weight of horror and fear, and the first time I saw it, it really did genuinely like freak me out. And I think that's—I guess I understand the criticism of the second film for that reason. In that the first one, there was so much weight to the story of this child murderer, you know, coming back and you know haunting kids' dreams, and that that fear that was so, you know,
2: yeah, because that's this is what I didn't get about this film because it was it wasn't like. you could get away from him by not going to sleep. He was in the real world yeah. and he was basically acting like a poltergeist. And there were some very questionable scenes. Like the scene with the bird was very weird. Oh, <laughs> with the, the canary explodes, yeah. Yeah, it was bizarre. And I, I just I wondered because he felt like he was more like a kind of ghostly presence yeah. than he was a kind of haunting your dreams thing. Yes. And it's just. You're right. So they're just breaking all the rules throwing the rule book to the it's, wind. Well
3: I guess um, Freddie was defeated through uh, Nancy turning her back on him and uh, not being scared in the first film so he has to come back some via some other method, he's not going to make that same mistake the second time round so he tries to use Jesse as a conduit to mm, enter the okay. real world and I suppose who knows what all the heating up the house and <laughs> exploding the birds is all about right? well, so I, I <laughs> but mean, it I works, took it as
1: but I took it was that the house represents is on the top is like on a hell mouth if you like mm. that Freddy's residing in and that's the reason and obviously as his powers get stronger um, because people are becoming more and more afraid that's what he feeds on so I kind of got all that and actually I must admit it doesn't really bother me that they broke that rule in the film because I think they needed a sequence and I think it works and I think it's imaginative um, what bothers me more is the ending. <laughs> like, I just, I would. I have... will
3: concede the last ten minutes are a bit generic. Mm. They um, after they come after the pool party scene, which is ten minutes from the end. It just, it just, it's not as good. Um, it's, it's a bit just. Oh, they go to the factory, walk around a bit. I mean, there's lots of special effects in those last ten minutes, mm. and the Freddy's death looks good. But yeah, there's, it's a bit weird. It's kind of, it's, it look. He, he melts. He melts, basically. And the reason he melts is because Jesse magics some fire up. It doesn't... Also, it doesn't make any sense why Freddy would melt, but Jesse inside... <laughs> yeah, yeah. That yeah was, Remains <laughs> completely intact. <laughs> like, I thought he
2: melted because she, she like, love, kind of showed love towards Freddy slash Jesse, because she shows love towards Jesse, and she can kind of see past the Freddy I, exterior. I think that
3: weakens Freddy and makes Jesse able to... Kind of break through. Use the mm. psychic, the telekinetic powers that he... They've never had until now, <laughs> but <laughs> I, that's where right, it the, und- ending, the ending is rubbish. Yeah. I'll give you that.
2: <laughs> that's where it does undo its whole homoerotic subtext as well because you've got this kind of heteronormative love that breaks yeah. breaks through. Oh, yeah,
3: that's it. It's not, not or maybe
1: it's just the gay best friend, you know, like and that thing, and she's just like managing to put him out. It's, I mean, I, I do genuinely believe that the writer took credit
3: he did. Yeah, he no no no, no. He it I
1: mean up. took credit for it I mean I think he put it in maybe you know subconsciously but to say that he had that sort of plan the whole time I'm not convinced of because I, it's not a particularly well structured film you know um, and also it's interesting but it's also interesting that like Rachel Talalay in the Never Sleeps Again documentary which is amazing mm. I was saying this it's one of the best documentaries made about a, a, yeah. a series of films I've ever seen it's yeah. so in depth but they were saying that you know there was a lot of problems with the logic and the reasoning in it and uh, how they were going to end it and Wes Craven obviously I think what you were saying earlier the reason Wes Craven went back to a more traditional way of Freddie behaving in three was because he was so unhappy with two and had that not happened in three then there probably wouldn't be the argument that Freddie came back as an apparition and was able to kill people no.
2: but this so. did well at the box office I was looking it up on IMDB this grossed more money than the original and it actually saved New Line cinema because they were like close to going bankrupt basically yeah, I mean, so Nightmare on Elm Street made them.
1: I think the first one really made them. But again, I mean, I remember even at the time in the 80s when this came out, everybody was just so excited for it and wanted to see it because it was so, the idea of Freddy is so terrifying. When you think about it, just even the general idea of it is yeah. so mm. horrible. that you The just... idea of
2: the dream thing, that's why I think I never watched it because m- me with horror films, whenever I watch them, going, the thing that scares me the most is when I go to bed and I can't get out of my head and I like reimagine it and mm. I constantly think that. The person's going to get me, mm. and that is like they're all in your dreams, so <laughs> you ain't going to get away.
3: Also, doesn't, doesn't Freddy look cool with the knives actually coming out of his fingers? Yeah, it? Yeah, 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 that bit was good. Like, yeah, I have to
2: say the body horror stuff I did really think was really impressive. Like this, the scene where he comes out of, of Jesse was really good. Mm. That was really, really well done. And
1: I think that works really strongly as a you know as the metaphor for him coming out and all yeah. that. I mean that works really strong. And also Mark Patton is a is a great performance. I think for, mm. as a horror film, I like the idea that it's swapped around as well you know normally that is the female part
2: yeah yeah, um, he didn't cause, but he hasn't really been in much else i looked i was looking him up and he's he was in some like he's in an amity film that came out a couple of years ago apparently uh, yeah, like a so remake I'm,
3: or something not, no, but he's I'm not, not
2: I, haven't seen. I think he <laughs> had a tough time after he, the film yeah. came out didn't he's, op- he's an openly gay actor so he probably yeah.
1: wasn't at the time though which is i think is interesting because in in okay. the documentary some of the actors say he was openly gay but he says himself that he wasn't um, and was and because it wasn't his makeup artist who had said to him not to do certain scenes the way that they maybe wanted him to because it would be too obvious. Mm. Um, so there was all that going on. But I just I mean I think it's the most interesting of all of the films.
0: Um,
2: I think the, the context around it is interesting. I, but I haven't seen the other films, so I can't say. I <laughs>
0: don't know. I watched I watched the first one for the first time on Tuesday, thinking like so. When uh, when I found out we were doing Freddy's Revenge, I didn't know it was number two like with that title I presumed it would be like 15 or 16 yeah or that's what I, I thought it was it be so 17. I kind of had a Google and I saw it's number two and I was like okay I'll watch the first one as I've not seen that before and I was kind of like a little bit bored during the first one because and like matt went to be fair morton hates, hates a lot
2: of stuff so <laughs> the,
0: <laughs> no, but, but objectively people love so. what i just mean is that i was a little bit bored because i've seen it spoofed so many times in the simpsons and like it just in so many different podcasts, it does really things, the impact that i was kind of like oh okay i'm not that first but when i watched this uh, uh freddie's revenge yesterday i actually really enjoyed it because it did do something different it was like it did kind of stick in my mind the whole time like you say with the whole rules thing that like it i was just like but they're awake so that kind of like didn't sit brilliantly well with me but it was unfamiliar as such the rest of the film so i I kind of enjoyed it more i would Mm. say than the first one
3: yeah i mean if, if you object to the rules being broken the fact that freddy isn't haunting people in their dreams then don't watch this film <laughs> <laughs> and leave me to enjoy my loves and possession I love because it's a possession movie okay so it's not, an, not a proper Elm Street film alright I love
0: it <laughs> for me as well it was more it wasn't so much the, the dreams it was the kind of motivation behind it as well it was just like okay I got in the first one that he was like coming back after like the kids of the people who killed him and that that was what kind of felt a bit odd to me as well when I was first Starting to watch mm. this film yesterday was just like, well, that, that, that's a completely different family. Yeah. But again, it was like, it was, it was the difference that kind of brought something to that, That's one to of the it. reasons I
3: say watch this before watching the first mm. one, because mm. you don't have all this expectation that he's targeting a particular bunch of people. Yeah. He's, yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't have any of that. Yeah, interesting actually. Freddy versus Jason. Freddy mm. uses a similar technique to try and get back, except this time he's using Jason. Um, yeah.
1: No, absolutely. That is that is so true. That's exactly what he does in Freddy and Jason, which I also really liked.
3: Which
2: I also haven't seen, obviously. <laughs> For obviously, I reasons. mean to be honest,
1: by the time it got to Freddy and Jason, it's, it's not scary anymore. I was going to, I mean, <laughs> you know, it's it's cartoonish and enjoyable.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, watching Kelly Rowland from Destiny's Child getting pinned to a tree with a big machete, <laughs> is quite fun. But it's um, yeah, it's it's daft, and it becomes daft. But it's also interesting that all the Nightmare on Elm Street films, like New Line, did do an interesting thing where they got like sort of relatively new up-and-coming directors to sort of take it on so like Rennie Harlan directed the fourth one it was his first major Hollywood movie and he was living in like a motel in downtown LA didn't have a job had no money basically went into New Line pitched the story and begged them for the job and he got the job and then obviously went on to do you know Long Kiss Goodnight and Cutthroat Island and all those big Hollywood movies so uh, they do they took risks with them I thought. Rachel yeah. went
3: on to it well, she now directs Doctor Who
1: yeah and she yeah she directed the final the, well before New Nightmare wasn't it the Freddy's uh, yeah that's Freddy's Dead Yeah, Freddy's Dead yeah
2: there we go Freddy's Dead the
3: final yeah. well it's called The Final Nightmare but then they obviously brought out other ones Freddy versus Jason and then the uh, oh and then New Nightmare and then what was that the other way around yeah the oh, yeah, other way around and then uh, the terrible terrible remake
2: yeah it's, I always find it funny because I think they do that with with uh, Friday the 13th as well isn't there one that's called The Final Chapter and then there's like <laughs> there's like, <laughs> like three after
3: 12 yeah.
1: <laughs> well interesting Cliff do you think Freddie could ever make a comeback
3: um, properly
2: in a good way
1: and would you write
3: well I think Robert, <laughs> uh, I think Robert England is so you know tied up with that character I, I just don't think I mean, Hayley, is it Hayley Joel uh, yeah. no, is Haley Joel No, Jackie Earl Haley. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that came from the sixth sense. Uh, of oh, yeah,
3: <laughs> I'm really rather <rubbish> should remember <laughs> actors' names. Um, I, I mean, he was all right in the remake, but it was a, it was a really bad film. They shouldn't.
1: Uh, Rooney Mara, though, as well. I forgot she was the uh, the lead actress in it. I mean, but yeah, totally ridiculous. I mean, it was almost like shot for shot, wasn't it? But with much bigger budget.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, they should have just done a sequel rather than. Uh, remake um, hmm. just try and take it, things in a different direction or try and do, it, do the same thing but with new, a new story You know, um, I actually think the Friday the 13th remake from the same sort of set of Platinum Junes remakes, I think they did a good job actually, I, I don't think that's a bad film at all, yeah. um, it kind of condenses the first three Friday the 13th films into one really brutal you know, 100 minute movie, I think, I think that's a pretty good that one
1: Brilliant stuff. Well, Cliff, we've got to end it there, but I think you did a terrific in defence of. Thank you very Very much. Before we let you go, can you just give out your uh, where people can listen to the Devil Times Five podcast?
3: Well, just search Devil Times Five on your favourite podcast provider. You know, on SoundCloud um, originally, and it gets uh, syndicated to everywhere else, including iTunes.
1: Brilliant, and we're going to play a song that you've selected as well. So, do you want to introduce it for us?
3: Yeah, (laughs) this came out last year. I think it's by Trends and Boylan. It's called Kruger.
0: His name is
2: Freddie Krueger. Welcome back to Hoxton Movies on Hoxton Radio. Uh, we're very pleased to have Cliff from the Devil Times Five podcast. You can check out their podcast on Apple Podcasts and other such podcast apps. It's called Devil's Time Devil Times Five, but it's times like an X. So make sure you search for that. Um, He did a very good defence of Freddy's Revenge, the second in the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Um, So yeah, listen back as well if you missed it. So next we're going to be talking about Early Man, which is the new release from Nick Park, the director of Wallace and Gromit and Chicken Run. It's from the studios that brought you kind of all those Wallace and Gromit, Shaun the Sheep movies. Um, It stars Tom Hiddleston, Maisie Williams, Eddie Redmayne, Miriam Margulies, Timothy Spall, Rob Brydon. So an all-star cast. It's set at the dawn of time when the prehistoric creatures and woolly mammoths roamed the earth and early man tells the story of Doug along with his sidekick Hognob which is like Hobnob but with a G um, as they unite against a tribe of the mighty enemy Lord Nuth and the Bronze-, Bronze Age City to save their home. I think this is like a battle, this is like when the mm. Stone Age is taken over by the Bronze Age I'm, I have to say it looks just awful
0: I was really looking forward to this because like I love Aardman it's like a kind of few weeks back a few weeks back I saw that it was in the uh, release schedule and I was like oh I've not watched Pirates in an adventure with Scientists yet so I watched that one Saturday morning earlier this year and I was like oh well that was actually really good like I'm even more looking forward to Early Man now and then I was at work I was in a screen and the trailer came on for it and like the first half I was like okay this looks kind of interesting it looks like they're doing something different and then halfway through the trailer it cuts to basically what the premise really is that is it is the the uh, the early man people go up against the bronze age city people in a football match to decide whether they kind of like progress or not with or if they get taken over or not. and it just i was just i was just so disappointed it's, it's like why why football just
2: yeah it doesn't look funny either mm. It it's kind of so Ardman. I mean obviously Wallace and Gromit is great and uh, I think some of their silent movies tend to be a lot better like the ones that kind of Shaun the Sheep actually the, that came out I think two years ago now that was they kind of brought it back to that whole kind of mm. s- not silent exactly but like there's no actual dialogue it's just sort of Animal noises and it's a lot of like it's focuses a lot on kind of more slapstick and like physical comedy and it actually is really good. It's really entertaining and obviously it's a kids film, but it's really entertaining. I was never a big fan of Chicken Run, to be fair.
0: Oh no, just don't get it. I just don't.
2: I don't. And it's got some good quotes, but in general, I found I find it quite boring.
0: How dare you! I
2: haven't seen Pirates and Adventure Scientists. Maybe I'm not a speaking Ardman fan, and I don't, don't do like. Try them.
0: and change the subject. Chicken Run is a masterpiece. Like, I, really I agree with Morton. I film. love Chicken Run. I think it's so good. It's The Great Escape despite with chickens. The f- yeah, despite it's the fact that it's
1: Mel Gibson, yeah. it's still
0: a great. It's, still it's a great not, film. I don't um, want to
1: be a pie.
0: I don't like gravy. <laughs> it's brilliant! I will never and, forget that. And life. I really
1: like Miranda Richardson as well as the uh, evil farmer's wife. She's really she's good.
2: brilliant. The, the farmer's wife is the best character because I like it when he's like, what kind of pies? (laughs) 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 Affle. Anyway, enough about chicken run. Yeah, so early man, let's play a clip.
0: and this game is going to
2: make me loads of it. Your premiership. What if the queen finds out? That old crow, she doesn't know what goes on out here. (laughs) Luckily. (laughs) Delivering message? Your footballness. It's a message bird. Huh? Well, go on, make it.
1: Hello? Hello? How do you use this message bird thing? It's the Queen. Just speak into its ear, ma'am. It will mimic everything it hears. I I don't even know if I'm holding it
2: that... Testing? E- Testing. E- Nooth? Nooth? Perhaps she's heard about the game. Oh, of course she hasn't heard about the game. I've heard
1: about the game. <gasps> you! Arranging uh... a football match against a bunch of savages? You idiot! Imagine if we lost! We won! I said imagine it! Exactly! <clears throat> the mighty
2: Bronze Age, brought to its knees by a bunch of cavemen! Well, I'm warning you, Nuth. You'd better not lose.
0: End of message.
2: So, that was a clip from Early Man. It opens tomorrow at Genesis and across London. It's the latest from Aardman, and I'd say it's a fairly unexcited mood in the studio for its release. But we can't prejudge these things, and once we've seen it we'll come back and give a proper review
0: it's a bold move to release a kids film a week after Coco without any previews like that's that's pretty bold so they must be confident but yeah
2: yes next uh, we're going to be talking about Downsizing and a little bit later on we're going to be talking about The Post as well as Grace and Frankie so Downsizing is the other week's new release uh, directed by Alexander Payne starring Matt Damon Kristen Wiig Christoph Waltz and Hong Chao. So I saw this film at the London Film Festival and I have to say I was significantly underwhelmed. I saw the trailer and I thought this was an interesting prospect. Um, it's bas- The story is kind of set not too far into the future but like a little way into the future and scientists have discovered how to shrink humans down to five inches tall as a kind of solution to overpopulation. So I thought, oh, this is going to be an interesting commentary on overpopulation, which is obviously a really big issue and something that isn't really addressed very much in film or in general. Like It's something that I feel like everyone's forgotten that's actually happening. Um, so it's quite interesting. So you can kind of shrink yourself down, and th- which means obviously everything you need to buy is going to be a lot smaller. You're obviously going to consume a lot less. And it also means for Paul and his wife Audrey, played by Matt Damon and Kristen Wiig, that they can kind of... Minimise their money worries because the money that they have in our world translates to a hell of a lot more money in the downsized world because obviously everything is smaller. So you have a kind of small, you know, one up, two down, whatever house mm-hmm. in the suburbs in um, in the U in like in the U.S. You move to one of these little hubbed uh, ec- like co- um, communities that are like under this big bubble, and you get a mansion essentially. You get a huge plot of land you get a massive mansion and it's all kind of sold to them as this like incredible life like it's going to be a lot easier you probably won't have to work and like you know party time and christoph waltz is in it so it's in the trailer so this isn't a spoiler but if you don't want to know anything about the film just tune out but basically they decide to do this together and and wig chickens out so paul uh so matt damon's character ends up by himself without his wife in the this downsized world. So he's tiny. She just doesn't go through with it, and then you just kind of follow his story into this world where he's obviously now like without his wife. He's in like a small world. He doesn't know anybody. He meets Christoph Waltz's character. He's kind of like living the high life and is a bit of a um, still kind of dealing with the outside wor- with the outside world with like the big world or whatever they call it, um, and making his money that way. And then it kind of gets into this white saviour story with Hong Chao, so uh, Matt Damon's character in Before He Gets Downside was like a physiotherapist and was like helping a lot of people with like work-based inju- injuries he notices that she is walking with a limp and kind of g- she's a cleaner for one of, the, for Christoph Waltz's character, she kind of, he notices she's walking with a limp and he decides that he's going to like try and help her and then it kind of turns into this big old white saviour story where he finds out that she's living in this like slum part of the world and then there's like uh, some end of the world theory stuff in thrown in there, obviously. Um, I just I didn't find it funny. First of all, like it wasn't funny at all. I didn't really laugh, and I just kind of got a bit annoyed with this kind of savior story. And there were some all right moments. Like I think the the initial premise and the initial setup was quite interesting, and it kept me intrigued. And then it just sort of lost me along the way, and it just became a bit trite and a little bit boring rubbish it, yeah.
0: it's one of those ones that like up until you've just said that I didn't really know what the plot was beyond the idea that they get smaller and, yeah I've like, already spoiled it a little bit well no, no not so much it's, <laughs> well I mean the clue is in the title <laughs> <but yeah. laughs> no I, I just mean sense that like again I've been in uh, in studios at work the past week and had to watch this trailer a few times and each time I'm just like I, I don't actually get what the hook of like the plot is about beyond them getting sm- smaller like that's that's technology that's the world that's not actually the story mm. and like it's just yeah
2: i think that's the thing they kind of had that premise and they thought that's an interesting premise mm. let's make a film about it and then they made the fi- they started making the film and obviously realized there's not really much to go on like once you've got past that bit um and that's why i think it kind of loses momentum loses steam and it just becomes a kind of by the numbers sort of, and don't. also there's something quite but like, Hong Chao is great in it like mm. she gives a really good performance and I can kind of see why she's been nominated she probably brings like the most humour to it and the most like humanity, humanity to mm. it because the rest of them are quite two-dimensional characters really you've got Christoph Waltz playing this kind of classic um, money-making like uh, You know, patriarchal kind of character. You know, he's just making money. He's he's found a way to sort of cheat the system in a way, and make money off of it. And he's just a very one-note kind of character. He doesn't really have much depth to him. Um, Matt Damon maybe he's got a little bit more to say, but yeah, I just I just it didn't touch me. It didn't move me. I wasn't engaged with any of the characters in it.
1: I feel like Alexander Payne is always the sort of director that actors love to work with because they feel like it's quite lofty material. Mm -hmm. But actually, as a viewer. It can be quite clinical, it can mm. be quite uninvolving. I mean I've never I mean I I've admired his films, but I've never gone back to them. So about Schmidt, Nebraska. The film that I actually really enjoy of his the most is Election, and I don't feel like he's ever really sort of
0: recaptured that razor sharp. The, yeah, there's a sense of fun to Election that there kind yeah. of yeah. isn't in also some has something of his to say films, though yeah. as well.
1: And I mean it has an interesting premise and and you know yeah. but but this doesn't appeal to me at all. And actually, I, I mean, I'm surprised that it got commissioned because Universal. This is the third, I think, big film of theirs that really hasn't done anything at the box mm. office. Um, second, starring Matt Damon. Um, it just the the subject matter is with everything going on in the world right now. I don't think it's going to drive people into the multiplex because no. they want escapism, not social commentary at the moment. I think on the big screen, anyway.
2: Yep. Uh, so we've got a clip from Downsizing and you can see it at Genesis from
3: tomorrow please state your
0: full legal names
2: Audrey Lustig Sophronic.
0: Paul Norris Sophronik And do you understand that
3: of your own free will, you will undergo the permanent and irreversible medical procedure commonly known as downsizing? And that following the procedure, your bodies will be
1: approximately 0.0364% of their current mass and volume?
3: Yeah.
1: I'm, I'm sorry Paul, I need a yes or no? Yes. Yes. And do you understand that there exists an approximately one in 225,000 chance that the procedure could result in injury, permanent
2: disability, or death?
3: Yes.
2: Yes. Yes.
0: Thumbs up or thumbs down? the latest movie reviews with Hoxton Movies.
2: So now we're going to be talking about The Post, which uh, Matt and I saw on Saturday. Uh, it is directed by Steven Spielberg, starring Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks, as well as Sarah Paulson, who's totally wasted, and Bob Odenkirk, Tracy Letts, um, Fair Few. Carrie Coon. Alison Bree. Oh yeah, Carrie Coon. She's great. So um, the story is, it's kind of the Vietnam War has been covered up for years, and there's secret papers that kind of reveal that the all, like pretty much nearly all the presidents from throughout the whole the whole period covered it up. Even JFK, who's obviously supposed to be one of the liberal lefties that all the people loved, and um, Meryl Streep is now running the Washington Post. It's a family paper. It's not a big paper like it is now, um, and she's kind of inherited this from her husband after he has killed himself. She's never had a job before. She's, you know, not really... She's kind of shunned by the board because um, she's the only woman. And she's kind of dealing with this... Uh, it, d- ..a difficult time because she's friends with a lot of people who are being accused of hiding th- things and not telling the people that, like, basically they knew they weren't going to win the war but they kept sending American soldiers. And she's kind of torn between doing something that is right by publishing the papers in the Washington Post and exposing this lie and protecting some of the people that she knows and also not going up against the government who've put an indictment. Indictment, is that the right one? Yeah. Indictment. So they, the New York Times first sort of run with some of the story because they get a hold of a few of the papers um, and they get uh, indicted by the... They get f- they're f- uh, banned from publishing anymore. And so Tom Hanks is kind of um, the main editor and they're working on the same paper and he really wants them obviously to go ahead and publish and they've kind of got to go against uh, Nixon on this And but it's kind of standing up for freedom of press and the whole kind of subtext of the film is obviously we are in, currently in a situation where we have someone who is the leader of the free world calling every sort of legitimate newspaper fake news and kind of trying to quash the freedom of the press and right now more than ever we need kind of Moral journalism, we need good journalism, and we need journalism to be calling out when to be kind of holding the politicians to to well, account just, uh, holding uh, them to account and to not account, yeah. and not being their puppets but being someone who goes against them and so that from that point of view it's kind of got an interesting thing, but it's so melodramatic, especially the end the like some of the music that they use, I think John Williams did the score. And some of the music was just so obvious and pr- just it became just really trite, I thought, yeah, by the end.
1: I, I would agree. I think it has all the makings of a very prestigious award season type movie. But, um, and it's very well made and it's interesting and it's, it moves at a decent enough pace, like I wasn't bored watching it. But the problem that I had with it Which I do with quite a lot of Spielberg films is the sentimentality. Mm. It just it becomes a bit basic. And then you know, for a film, I mean, whether it was made as a feminist statement, I don't know. But I I feel like the the best thing about it is Meryl Streep because the character is flawed. They never show her as somebody who suddenly took charge and made all these decisions. I mean, decisions that she makes are quite off the cuff. You know, I mean, because she feels pressured or unsure, not because she's absolutely certain it's the right thing to do. And I thought that was an interesting dynamic, the way they showed that. But then Spielberg can't resist slathering the film with overt sentimentality, which kind of dilutes the impact of it. Uh, Tom uh, Tom Hanks is Tom Cruise. Tom mm-hmm. Hanks is great as Ben Bradley. I mean, he's just he captures the essence of this, you know, left wing, liberal, open minded, very smart, and um, very bullish editor who's determined to uh, expose the truth at whatever cost uh, surrounded by some really fantastic actors but you know for a film that that champions a woman fighting against the patriarchy and making these decisions which is the Catherine Graham character played by Meryl Streep there's no other female characters in the film like nobody else gets a shot and Sarah Paulson's character who plays Ben Bradley's wife I've you don't believe for a second that there's a grandstanding speech about three quarters of the way through the film where Bradley, who has pretty much dismissed Catherine Graham like everyone else, suddenly sees the light because his wife tells him what's what. And it's like, I doubt very much that happened, particularly because in other sequences, all Paulson is doing is handing out trays of sandwiches. Um, (laughs) But interestingly, when I spoke to a friend of mine last night, I went for dinner with a friend last night who's seen The Post twice and she loved it. And there's a sequence at the end of the movie where it's so... They've lined up like a load of women standing on the court steps when Catherine Graham descends them. And it's like... It just feels like it never happened. Like, it was just so... Shoehorned. Shoehorned. And she said that she loved that sequence. She said, oh, you know, I thought it was a really nice nod to female solidarity and what's going on. And I was like, mm, okay, I can kind of see where you're coming from. But it, it the problem is, is that it doesn't... Even though it's so topical now and it's so important... That there's a film like this that documents the the necessity for the freedom of the press. It's it's oddly emotionless. Like it doesn't grab you.
2: Mm, I agree, and I think it's quite surface in a way because it has that whole oh you know she descends the steps, female solidarity, yada yada yada. But none of those women say anything. There's no dialogue between them. There's just some woman sort of pumping her fist sort of slightly. And then they kind of part like a sea as she sort of descends these stairs. And it's quite dreamlike in a weird way. And I felt like it there's not enough depth to it. It wasn't really explored. Mm. You didn't like you just said, it you didn't feel emotionally invested in it. It all felt a very like glossy kind of version of I felt like it could have been a lot grittier.
1: I well, I mean it's Spielberg and it's a major studio film, so it was never gonna be that. But I do But even
2: like Spotlight had like a bit more edge. Well,
1: Spotlight played more like a documentary mm. than a than a narrative. And I think one of the things that I did really like about The Post is that it does capture a journalist's hunger to crack the story. You do feel that because everybody is risking something and everybody's putting their necks on the line. And it's interesting to see the competition between rival newspapers and, and how that broke. Mm. Uh, Matthew Reese has a pretty significant part um, from The Americans. He has a pretty significant part as the guy that basically stole the papers from... Mm. Uh, from From the White House, and so it's, yeah. I mean, one of the tricks I absolutely loathed is the Nixon. <gasps>
2: yeah, bit. that was so. So weird.
1: Nixon is represented in the film, but from a, from long shots mm. from the garden of the of the White House of, um, and Nick, he's always got his back to camera, and he's just basically ranting about whoever. And there's probably like three scenes of that, and it just it feels really odd and. I don't know, just there's a real disconnect, isn't there? It's it's very
2: strange, I don't get it. It kind of felt... Well, I couldn't remember... I haven't had a chance to sort of look into it, but it sounded a bit like they were using clips of his voice, but then having, like, a stand-in. That's why they weren't showing that person sort of speaking, because it was going to be a weird disconnect from, like, the voice of That would make Nixon. sense in
0: that respect, I suppose, to save, like, casting somebody as Nixon, like, yeah. again... So yeah. Just, yeah, yeah. But I'm just looking. There's weird. no
1: one credited as Nixon on the no, cast list, so possibly.
2: But, but yeah, because it kind of sounded quite similar to him, and mm. it had like a weird, that weird kind of old recording style tone to it. So I thought that was maybe what they did. The thing is, I didn't hate this film. It's no, just I, didn't. Was, I didn't. It was just it. kind of, it was just fine. And I, d- I just, I'm a bit annoyed. Not annoyed, but I'm just a bit surprised. Not well, actually, not surprised. I just don't think it should have been nominated for best film. I think
1: I think it stays just on the right line of being overly sentimental, but that's not something to recommend it. No. You know, get, because because given the quality of people involved—the director, the writers, the actors—that it should have been explosive, mm. and it's not. It's safe and it's very entertaining, but it's not dynamic.
3: So, can I ask you a hypothetical question? Oh dear, I don't like hypothetical questions. Well, I don't think you're
0: gonna like the real one either.
3: Do you have the papers?
0: Not yet.
2: Oh gosh, oh gosh, because you know
0: the, the uh, position that would put me in You know, we have language in the prospectus. Yeah, I know, I know that the bankers can change their mind. That's, and I know what is at stake. You know, the only couple I knew that both Kennedy and LBJ wanted to socialize with was you and your husband, and you own the damn paper. But since the way things
2: worked, politicians and the press they trusted each other so they could go to the same dinner party and drink cocktails and tell jokes while there was a war raging hey, in vietnam i don't know what we're talking about I, i'm not protecting linda no you got his former secretary of defense robert mcnamara the
0: man who commissioned this study he's I'm one of about a dozen party him. guests I'm not protecting out on your any patio. of them i'm protecting the paper thumbs up or thumbs down the latest movie reviews with Hoxton Movies.
2: Welcome back to Hoxton Movies on Hoxton Radio. We've got 20 minutes left. Uh, We're going to do a quick review of the new season of Grace and Frankie and then we're also going to be talking a little bit about Sundance uh, because we had to miss out of movie news earlier so we're going to round up on that. So, Grace and Frankie season four on Netflix last Friday. I was excited but unfortunately it hasn't. I've only watched the first four episodes so I'm hoping maybe it gets better. (laughs) There are still some funny moments. Mm. I know you really hate it. I don't hate it. I I
1: love... Look, you know I loved the other series. I love the other series. I season three as well. Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin are just unbelievable legends. And I loved what they were doing with this show in the sense that, you know, you've got women of a certain age unashamedly talking about sex and relationships Mm -hmm. and life and friendship and all those things. All those things. And they did... The last season was so good. Mm. But... The problem is, is I don't think anybody really thought it was going to last four seasons, and they've run out of ideas. The second episode, which nearly like almost had me turn off the whole thing, was this you know hunt for the baby's sex. From, that
2: was so weird. It was just
1: so weird. It wasn't funny at all. Um, it felt like it was being improvised as they went along. Um, the same joke was repeated multiple times and wasn't funny for the first time so you're just like wearing things and then they've introduced Lisa Kudrow so Lisa, so obviously at the end of season 3 Frankie has gone to live with her partner played by Ernie Hudson in Santa Fe and Grace has asked her nail technician played by Lisa Kudrow to move in or take the spare room and of course Frankie's feeling like threatened by their friendship and all this but it turns out that um, Lisa Goodrow's character is harbouring a secret which Frankie uncovers and this leads to Grace and Frankie becoming like taking it upon themselves to help her and honestly episode 3, because 2 is awful <laughs> and then three becomes this ridiculous so implausible like there's just absolutely no reason whatsoever for these characters to behave the way they do it just doesn't make any sense
2: but then four picks up again and you've kind of got that you've got the frankie charm she makes like a lot of the comments that she comes out with i think are just so like she's quite funny and they, they make some really good jokes and clever smart whips with what she says so i feel like like episode four brings it back
1: there are smatterings of really good one-liners in it but one of the things that I have noticed they've done what worked so effectively in in the first three seasons was that there would be the odd um, you know use of of, of really like sort of explicit language or whatever Um, at the right time it was perfectly timed in this they're just firing off the F-bombs left, right and centre and it just isn't timed correctly and it doesn't fit what they're trying to say and I just I, I felt just disappointed with it and I trust me I am a huge Gracie no, fan and I love them I, and I love too. the show but this is just not good writing no it's I, not the performers it's the writing
2: I agree with you I think it, it, they definitely have run out of ideas. It does feel like that. I'm, I'm just hoping maybe it picks up.
1: Also, it really bothers me as well. Like, I know it's. I sound like Mum's net or Mary Whitehouse. <laughs> the um,
2: they keep swearing and no, I, don't I don't like don't it. Story, but like
1: Frankie uh, Grace's daughter, not um, uh, not Brianna, the other one whose name I can't remember, played by Brooklyn Decker. I think she in the episode two. She's like got this weird sort of relationship with their Mallory. Mallory has got a weird relationship with uh, Frankie's... Coyote. Son, Coyote. And she's seen in this episode like just necking martinis, like literally drinking a whole bottle of martini and then driving him back and not being drunk in the slightest or anything. And I was a bit like... This is really sloppy continuity. Mm-hmm. Like, I know, I get it, but she's a mum of three. Yes, she's going through a divorce, but there's no way she'd drive halfway across LA, like having. Dra- I mean, and the whole setup of this scene is her getting hammered yeah, like her yeah, mother, yeah. drinking like straight martinis, and then she's driving around LA like an hour later. I'm like, it. it I know that's not a thing but it, those sort of things really bug me because it's it's so out of character for the character that it actually makes me think the writers don't give a damn mm. they're just like putting other scenes mm. in it and that to me feels really sloppy and I don't like that so that was a, that, that was a <laughs> tiny little thing that, but it was bugging me
2: but no it is <laughs> is it kind of is uh, indicative. Indicative of other problems when you've kind of got very small things that are noticeable like that. Because usually, if you were enjoying something, you might not notice that there's like a slight continuity and you let things go and you kind of let it go. But that to have something like that stand out as such a glaring error, which it kind of did, and it was kind of bizarre that she was just like there knocking them back, and you're like, What, where'd this come from? I mean, I get it, like you said, she's going through something, but. I mean yeah, also but... do
1: you even remember who her husband is or what that was about that whole subplot I mean th- there's really no point to her character but
2: they've as far as I remember they've broken up
1: yeah they have and that's why she's really bitter and drunk yeah. and you know he's got a new car and she thinks he's, it's because he's got a new woman nobody cares like no. you know I mean the only people you really care about I mean it's Ethan, Grace and
2: Frank I, this is the thing that um, so I used to watch it a lot with my housemate, my old housemate Tom and we always used to say like Just don't care about the the kids' stories. Like, I don't care about the side stories. I don't really care about Brianna's company. I don't care about, like, Coyote and and his love, like, harbouring a secret crush for Mallory no. or for, like, years and years and years. Like, you don't care. No, you just want the you ladies just to see Grace and You just want them to, like, be having fun, doing their friendship thing, having a great time, going up in a hot weather, Also,
1: I'm disappointed that they've moved so far forward um, talking about a woman of a certain age enjoying her own sexuality and, and not, you know, and not being ashamed to talk about it. And that's been completely sanitised in the first four episodes. There's no reference to, I mean, there's reference to their business, but there's no reference to the kind of glassing and breaking attitude they had in the last last episode. So I don't know, yeah, it's, it's, it's a massive disappointment for me. So, did you sign
0: up for that dating site I signed you up for? Yes. And oddly enough, I didn't find the love of my life on hippieroundup.com. Hey, hon. Who's that? Cherie. She's been doing my nails for 20 years. (laughs) Can I give you a hug? Uh It's a good thing I'm not allergic to rhinestones.
2: (gasps) Oh, that is a good thing.
0: Ah! Ah! What the hell is going on here? (laughs) Things have been rough with Saul. We need some time together. Is Saul making you terrible at theater? I'm someone who needs people. Have you two ever considered an open marriage? Mm, That's good, right? Robert, were you even listening to my colonoscopy story? Ah! Excuse me. Looks like you're handing out dildos. These are vibrators. We are empowering young women. Do you two know how lucky you are to have each other? Yeah, I think we do. (laughs)
2: Mom,
0: is your knee still bothering you? I'm fine. Do you really think you're going to be able to hide your crap knee from everyone? Do you know where the dog condominiums are? I hate my fucking life. You have water damage on your kitchen ceiling. We need to talk. I can't compete with younger women. What are you so afraid of? Once you see the real me, you are going to run for the hills. Oh, the baby's coming. The baby's coming. The baby's coming. Here, baby, 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 baby,
1: baby, 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 baby.
0: Jesus, mom, that can't be how it works. Have there been unexplained bruises? I can explain all my bruises. Tie fight with a hammock, slept on an Oreo. I don't need to sit here and take this. Seems like you do. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so that was Grace and Frankie season four trailer, which is now streaming on Netflix. Having to say it's been a bit of a disappointment for the super fan and the not so super fan in the room. That's you, the you. <laughs> yeah, I got, it. <laughs> I got my part. Uh so we're going to round up the show with a little bit of chat about the Sundance Film Festival which is finishing its first week this week and Matt's got all the latest.
1: Yeah, so I've been Keeping my eye on all the reviews coming forth from Utah, um, <laughs> I know it's really good because I mean this is a good indication of the sort of prestige pictures that might feature in award mm. season next year, um, and also just great films to look out for. Um, all these films are some of them not even finished, not even scored or mixed properly or anything, but they get debuted at Sundance and then uh, top film companies like Netflix and distributors, Focus Features, all those sort of people, they fight for distribution of the most um, so well received films. So we just run through some of the ones that have been getting great buzz. The first one is the Miseducation miseduc- of Cameron Post which is um, Desiree Ackerman's follow-up to her excellent appropriate behaviour it stars Chloe Grace Moretz, Sasha Lane from American Honey, John Gallagher Jr and Jennifer Ely, um, and it tells the story of a young sort of high school cheerleader type like popular girl who gets sent to a conversion therapy camp mm. so I think similar to um was it but I'm a cheerleader? Yeah. Yeah. Um, which was vastly underrated. Um, but I think this sort of extends that on and adds more sort of characters in it and fills it out. And actually, I think one of the things that it's been credited for is that it shows the pain of the individuals trying to perpetuate this nonsensical therapy and all of that. But I mean, it's apparently it's, it's very thoughtful. It's very funny. um, And also, I mean, you know, I I think appropriate behaviour sort of divided opinion a little bit, Mm. but I thought it was great. I thought it was very sharp, observational. Mm. Yeah, Um, brilliant. And I like the fact that she's kind of willing to sort of put herself out there. I mean, you know, even watching interviews with her talking about this woman, sometimes she's very candid and I think that sort of seeps into her filmmaking.
2: Definitely. It's based on a a novel, we should say, by Emily M. Danforth that was uh, published in 2012 um, so it'll be interesting to see the differences
1: yeah and apparently um, Akaban also is that my saying that right? yeah Desiree Akavan. yeah I think she um, co-wrote or adapted the script with yeah, her girlfriend she as did, well yeah. she's saying so that's good um, another film that's doing really well got great notices it's The Tale um, it's written and directed by Jennifer Fox and it stars Laura Dern Ellen Burstyn um, Common Francis Conroy uh, Jake John Hurd. it's got a good good cast and it um it deals with a a grown woman played by Laura Dern whose mother finds her diary from when she was a teenage girl and it tells the story of how she was in a suggestive relationship with a couple who were a lot older a, a male and a female couple when they were like I think her riding instructor and it it talks and tackles about whether it was abuse mm. um, and also like the different kind of perspectives on it from the individuals. Um, what I've heard
2: is that... Sounds really interesting.
1: Yeah, and I think sort of the premise people might have thought is a bit TV movie, but actually the way it's filmed is very cinematic because they have the younger version of the Laura Dern character talking to her adult version yeah. to try and reconcile mm. what happened. Um, so, that, so yeah, again, it's getting great notices and apparently it's anchored by an amazing performance from Laura Dern who, let's be honest, is absolutely on fire.
2: I love Laura Dern everything she's in even like Last Jedi I was screening all over the place when she was there yeah so good
1: even with that ridiculous hair that um, was great alright calm down <laughs> um, another film that's uh, getting great notice is an American it's called American Animals it's a crime drama written and directed by a guy called Bart Layton and it stars American horror stories Evan Peters um, Barry Kiergan from uh, To Kill- Killing of a Sacred Deer Blake Jenner and Jared Abrison and it tells the story of childhood friends Spencer and Warren who rebel against their suburban upbringing. The two, alongside two other fellow students, plot to steal priceless prints and rare books from Transylvanian's University Special Collections Library so yeah sounds a bit crazy but the reviews have been absolutely incredible Um, it's another film that Anne Dowd from The Handmaid's Tale is in she's in four films at Sundance and has got rave notices for every single one of them Um, so apparently it's really visceral and exciting and just a totally accomplished crime thriller and you know Barry Keegan is a bit on fire at the moment as well so there's that one Um, the next one is Private Life it stars Paul Giamatti and um, Catherine Hahn. And it's directed by Tamara Davis, who hasn't done a film since The um, oh, The Savages with uh, Laura Linney yeah. and Philip Se- Seymour Hoffman. And it tells the story of a couple who are struggling to conceive and the strain that that puts on their relationship. Molly Shannon co-stars. Apparently it's um, a bit like The Savages. It's almost kind of brutally real. Um, and the comedy comes from very real life sort of situations Um, apparently the performances are amazing as you would expect from Catherine Hahn and Paul Giamatti Mm -hmm. Um, so that's been getting great notices a kid like Jake is stars Claire Danes and um Uh, The guy from Big Band Theory, Jim Parsons. Oh Yeah, Yeah, Um, that looks really good. Yeah, and they play um, parents of a young boy in New York. They're quite sort of middle class. And the boy um, is, they believe him to be um, trans and he likes to dress up in girls' clothing and everything. So they kind of want to be very accepting of it and liberal about it. um, But they get lots of kind of um, different opinions from people in their lives. So, for example, Octavia Spencer plays a friend of... Claire Danes' character encourages us to, to, you know, let Jake behave and and be who he wants to be. Um, But then they're worried about him getting into certain schools and whether the kids will put up it. Apparently, again, it's a very thoughtful drama. Um, It's from one of the directors from Transparent as well, Mm. who is actually trans. Um, So apparently everything is dealt with in a very uh, humorous, uh, sorry, humorous and intelligent way. Um, So that's been getting great notices. Uh, Another one is uh, Search... Which stars John Chow and Deborah Messing. And that's based, apparently, it's all filmed on computers and it's about a missing child. And apparently the gimmick... It sounded like when... The critics were saying it sounded really gimmicky. Mm. And then when they started watching it, they were like, this is actually really imaginative and really clever. So when
2: it's shot on computers, what, like, these kind of cameras on the top of the laptop? Let me...
1: So it's... um, The film is shot from the point of view of smartphones and computer screens is what it says. Oh, wow. And the search is about a father trying to find his missing 16-year-old daughter. It's got raves at Sundance. That sounds incredible. But there's only really a tiny cast in it, John Chow and Deborah Messing.
0: Yeah, there's also... um, uh, Steven Soderbergh's uh, new film Unsane is going to premiere I think this week uh, that was shot on smartphones as well that has got Claire Foy in it from The Crown
1: isn't there Mosaic as well
0: oh uh, right okay, yeah with know, Sharon Stone that's all via an
1: app
2: tell um, us about one more film because we got to wrap up
1: okay so um the big film last night that has been getting loads of like attention was a midnight screening of a film called Hereditary which nobody's really heard that much about but it stars Tony Collette and Gabriel Byrne and everybody is saying it's not only one of the scariest films ever that Tony Collette's performance is absolutely incredible one of the most iconic sort of characters in a psychological thrill horror film in the last 20 years uh, people are saying it's like Rosemary's Baby for the 21st century um, but the, the general consensus is that Tony Collette has got a, a role worthy of her talents um, for a long time, and and but on top of that, it's supposed to be an absolutely fantastic film as well. So, so yeah, so there's cool. some highlights from some notes.
2: Do you know what Hereditary is about?
1: Yeah, so basically, she her mum um, is dying, uh, dies of dementia, mm-hmm. and it causes obviously grief and regret. But it turns out that the, the mother's spirit sticks around, um, and it starts to unravel the family. Um, so they've got like young kids and. Everybody starts to behave very oddly, so it's it, apparently it, it's really well handled,
2: and it's got some sort of twist apparently. Yes, well. ooh, exciting! Thanks, Matt, for that. Uh, we're going to finish off the show with "I'm um, Not a Girl, Not Yet a Woman," another Britney classic from Crossroads, <laughs> because we've been playing Britney at the movies on the show this week because she's great, and she's going to be headlining Pride in Brighton, which is super exciting for. And all. she won't know where she is. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to Talks to Movies.
0: Hoxton Movies on Hoxton Radio.